Hello and welcome to Bottled Up on a mission to create conversations and make the mental health of men a top priority. You're joined by myself, Sunny, and Mayank, close friends from university who want to share the stories of everyday people on our platform. The reason? Because we are not alone. Before we kick this conversation off, thank you for tuning in and listening. If you haven't already, it would be awesome if you could rate, review, and follow our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your conversations. It makes a huge difference to our reach with these awesome guests and potentially life-saving conversations. And if you haven't just yet, it takes 20 to 30 seconds to leave us a review and would help us out massively. In this episode, we sat down with Armand Vastard, who was a former criminal and drug addict. He now owes his life to two things that made his remarkable transformation possible, running and kindness. In the past, Armand spent a lot of his time on the run. Through a series of poor life choices and unfortunate circumstances, he found himself dealing drugs and engaging in other kinds of criminal activity. He even gained the notoriety as the infamous gunman from Mulder after supplying a weapon that was used in a triple hop inside. We pick up the conversation as Armand starts to tell us about his early childhood days. So without further ado, this is Armand Vastad. You've got a very interesting very interesting life and i think it's probably better said coming from your mouth than mine i think you can you can better articulate your story and, and what's been involved there but before we get into you know the drugs the guns the recovery um you know how you've come through on the other end um just want to take a moment and, uh, to take a step back like what was upbringing like for you as a as a little kid growing up what was that like i know um in a hearing you speak you didn't have your father much around as growing up as well so um yeah what was it like growing up and how did that influence you with my father um, did... yeah just in general yeah 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 your father and just your childhood in general i think i think i had a pretty normal childhood at the time uh, growing up uh, with my parents and um, they were they were divorced when i was 20 so they were living together uh, all my childhood um but i remember i was um, I was um, I loved playing soccer, um, and, and that was my really really big interest. And but also I was very fond of being together with people around me. And I was growing up on a little island outside Molde, a small village outside on the west coast in Norway. So and the island had only 150 citizens, um, so everyone knew everyone. So I was I remember remember I was. Um, looking forward to start on, I think it's called um, a middle school, something like that. Mm, uh, from, yeah, middle school. <laughs> yeah, from the age of thirteen or something. Yeah, um, because yeah. that school was on on the on the other side, on the big city with twenty thousand citizens. Uh, so, um, and I was picking my friends from from the upper shelf there. Um, mm. I I hope to do that, but. Um, uh, it didn't go very good, I have to say. So the first uh, 12 years was living on an island with farmers all around us. Um, <laughs> and in a safe spot, but I was missing more people. That's what I'm, I'm, I remember from that time. And um, mm. But I couldn't, um, I, I can't c- complain to anything besides that my father, he was working um, in the North Sea as oil a worker mm. so he was right. um, he was away for 14 days and he was uh, home four weeks but when he was home he was 
all he had his project all the time so he didn't spend time with um, mm -hmm. with me or the other siblings I had and um, he was just 20 years when I was born and um, so he was a young guy oh, and, wow. um, but I was lacking his intention you know and um, and I, I, I see the patterns from um, from that time of my life now as a grown-up and the patterns that I did to try to get his attention and um, but that's uh, mm. another part of my story yeah mm. uh, so yeah did you was there a point where you sort of looked at some other people to have that kind of father figure or replace that kind of father figure in your life when you were younger well i can't say i did uh i i remember i was a bit jealous on on other par other kids that had both parents especially on soccer training because my father he was mm. never there for me uh, mm. i i used to bring my uncle um, and that was a, 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 a hard, or a, let's say the word in English, uh, it, was, um, it was hard for me to experience that my father didn't pay much attention. Mm. So, um, but he, when I'm growing up now and as an adult, I'm, I see that I am, I'm, I have easy to connect with people that are mm. at the age of my father. Uh, so um, I don't know mm. if that's I don't know if that's, that's a very good point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. because I, I I embrace every people about uh, men, especially about sixty or sixty five mm. years old at the same age as my father. Mm. So yeah, it goes both ways. It goes up to people <laughs> yeah. at the age of sixty five, and it goes down to my own kids now because yeah. I I, w I will. I will be the father that I didn't have. Uh, so I use most of mm. my capacity <laughs> mentally and physically mm. to be there for my kids. That's mm. a very interesting point because I also played a lot of team sports growing up and I didn't really have my parents around watching me. Um, I often had like other parents drop me to the games and um, other family, friends and things like that. And I remember that being um, quite similar to you. Like you almost feel like they've missed out on a big part of your development because there's so much fun that you have on the field as well. Mm. Really. So, um, and then obviously, like, so you, you talked about like um, this idea of attention and this idea of like being able to relate to a lot of people that were much older than you as well. Do you think that kind of, I guess, fast tracked a lot of your maturity as well growing up, just being around a lot more people that were older than you and, and came from different walks of life? Yeah, that could be uh, uh, could have some influence and impact on my life. And um, uh, but I think the, I think that because I was moving mm. away from my parents at the age of thirteen, um, and I I was living with my grandfather because of the soccer uh, mm. interest of mine because uh, it was all taking mm. place on Molde. So it was a it was a very um, difficult logistic to to because. We need to take mm. ferry from the island into the to the football soccer. So I stayed with my grandfather um, the days in the week where the mm. it was soccer trainings. But I literally moved to him at the age of thirteen, and um, so I stayed with him. So I was escaping mm. my parents, uh, let's say, um, possibilities to have some positive influence on me. Um, but at the same time, mm. I uh, I developed some kind of I didn't have much friends because I was a bit bullied at the, at the age of 13, 14 years old because we were farmers mm. coming to the city and and um, they, they didn't like that because we didn't have the right clothes, we didn't have the right attitude, we didn't speak the right way. So, But with my grandfather's money, 
he was giving me some money because he was a generous old man and um, and mm. uh, with that money I suddenly found my uh, place in the hurdle in a way uh, people suddenly accepted me because I had money and uh, mm. it was so good it felt really really good and that was the first thing or the first moment I would say that I saw that money could have this kind of mm. influence on my life I mm. didn't pay attention to that at the time but it, yeah and that, so money was uh, giving me self-esteem basically mm. It seems to me like how, you know, money was kind of a, a checkbox. And like once that checkbox is met, you can, it sort of gave you the ticket to, I guess, you know, fit in. Um, and I think that idea of fitting in on money, it's certainly something that resonates with me because I've I've found myself in in the past and even now, you know, doing things to fit in with, you know, with the herd. And, you know, being different can lead to isolation. It can lead to loneliness. And of course, it's a completely natural human trait to want to fit in and I, and I, and have that sense of identity and belonging and i think that kind of leads to this this next part of your story your story arman where you know you were you were a doorman um, and and you know you were surrounded by a lot of other by a lot of people and, and the, i mean that that obviously did influence some of your some of your decisions um later on in your life i mean can you you know maybe you know i know i've i guess i guess like signposted this but can you maybe you know tell us how you know that need to to belong and and to fit in you know played played into this next part of your narrative yeah uh, I can because um, uh, when I was struggling for finding my identity and also more money because I moved out from my grandfather I I needed to find uh, a suitable job that gave me that money and the need I had it um, so the doorman job in uh, uh, was was well paid but in that culture of doormans we had um, uh, let's say it was 10 people and, and nine of them or eight, I could say, uh, did everything correctly, nothing criminal. But a couple of them, they did something. They took in some anabolic steroids and some of them were smoking weed and some. And when you were a part of the, mm. this culture, I didn't like people. I didn't like to, to, to take weed. But when you're a part of the culture, you adapt everything in that culture uh, because... Yeah. Because you, you really want to be there, and you when you've been outside uh, uh, the hurdle uh, so long as I had, uh, I, I I grabbed the opportunity with both hands, and before I knew it, I was also starting to take some drugs, and I I thought, well, it ca- it can't be hurting to just take it a couple of times, maybe. Uh, I I felt mm-hmm. almost like this was in the in the in the middle of the nineties, starting in the nineties, and it was in the a techno and house <laughs> party uh, environment mm. in all Europe and I guess in Australia as well. Uh, so everyone, yeah. everyone was taking ecstasy. So who, 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 it couldn't be that yeah. bad, could it? So, um, but yeah. I, I have already crossed one boundary when I was stealing money from my grandfather, and it was easier for me to continue with these crossing boundaries when I, I took in drugs, and I also ended mm. up to see that I was, I could be a really mm. good criminal because I was uh, having, um, uh, I have easy to get in touch with people and I was, um, mm. uh, I, lo- I knew a lot of people and I was a party fixer in a way. Uh, so I could bring drugs mm. from one uh, environment to another one and I saw that I could make money yeah. on it. And that was 
then started my criminal uh, journey, I would say. Yeah. And Adman, just to paint a picture for people listening in, when you say drugs, what type of drugs are we talking about? Um, and, and the ones you were taking or was, supplying? Yeah, it was uh, amphetamine um, and it was cocaine and ecstasy. Um, and it was also hashish um, and some weed, mm. but uh, mostly amphetamine. But uh, at the end, a couple of years later, I was also starting to make my own drug. Uh, it was almost uh, like a Breaking Bad because we were standing with the, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with the, we were making GHB. It's a liquid, mm. uh, liquid drugs. Yep. Um, so we were standing. Uh, it's hard for for uh, listeners to see, but we are standing with uh, big uh, something that you cook cook in, <laughs> and mm. we was star- yeah. staring like this, uh, <laughs> and uh, mm. and it was um, much much money in this uh, so mm. this was the kind of drugs i was taking yeah we we in melbourne and cal mcpherson had the same thing the guy on young bloods uh said the same thing around like we had a massive problem for ghb in melbourne in 2017 2018 2019 in our party scene and ghb is one of those drugs where um grievous bodily harm um uh, it's one of those drugs where even if you take a little bit extra um you can end up in a seizure and you can end up in hospital, and 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 the consequences are very dire. Um, I guess you know, Arman, like how 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 did it all begin? Like I'm sure you know a lot of people, like you probably mentioned, um, it probably started off small. You got those dopamine hits as you were uh, maybe doing small transactions. You are realizing you got away with it, because um, that's how sort of addiction plays out, right? You any type of addiction, you kind of play small, whether it's like at a casino as well. You kind of play small. You start getting a couple of wins. Um, you might have a couple of losses, and then it starts getting bigger and bigger and spiraling out of control. But how did that play out for you when you were going through that phase? Well, it, I, I think you're uh, very correct, Sunny. And um, uh, I was addicted to uh, the experience by using money, uh, and I, I was more addicted to the criminal activity in itself because I love to do things where I challenge the authorities. I didn't do only mm. drugs. I did do a lot of frauds as well. I was, mm. let's say, an expert in selling cars, which were not mine, mm. uh, and uh, right. get money from it and get away with it. So mm. I was almost, mm. um, uh, I could do like a franchise of all my criminal ideas. So I was a really creative mm. guy, um, but money, uh, was the what was the my driver um but when it when i started to do drugs and selling drugs i needed to test my merchandise my items so i i tested a lot of things to see the quality of it and then the addiction Mm. started because i also Mm. was a party man and i was um, having a good mood and i was known as the generous man always happy always giving away so this reputation I was working very, uh, very. Mm. Let's say I was working very good with this reputation. Um, but in the end, I started to lose um, control because the drugs were okay. taking over, um, and it started small, um, but it ended up really, really heavy. And uh, mm. just in three, four years, I went from a, let's say, uh, a happy boy that. Um, did a lot of crime, but small 
um, with, with a small amount of uh, party drugs from time to time to become so addicted that I needed to have GHB to wake up, GHB to s- sleep, GHB to mm. yeah to function, uh, and all these benzodiazepines um, tablets to to sleep and to relax and everything. And I had seven overdoses of GHB mm. in fourteen days, so that I survived this. Wow! It's, it's, wow! It's jeopardy. It's a jeopardy. Wow. It's almost like incomprehensible. Like I, I'm lost for words. Um, like, yeah, yeah, no, it's, um, (laughs) it's, uh, it, it, I don't know if if you've seen this movie, um, Armand, but it actually reminds me of this movie called, um, uh, Catch Me If You Can. Um, and it's got, sort of goes back to your point around being addicted to that chase. I mean, in the movie, it's with, um, it's with, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and it's, it's, it's essentially about this fraudster who's, um, constantly on the run. He used to write like fraudulent checks and used to cash them and used to make a lot of money from, from engaging in that fraud, fraudulent activity. Um, and the whole movie is literally based around the relationship between this fraudster and the detective who's trying to catch him. Um, and that's, yeah, that's literally the whole movie. And then at the end of the movie, when the detective finally speaks to him, um, he comes to the realization that the fraudster, who is Leonardo, Di- who was played by Leonardo DiCaprio, um, was actually addicted to the chase the entire time. So, um, and then, you know, after that, it was, he, he actually, the fraudster actually began to, um, work for the police, which, would you believe it mm-hmm. or not? So, um, but I think there's, there's some really interesting parallels between his, um, story and your story. Actually, Armand, I'm not sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, but, uh, I don't think yeah. I can work in the police. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <probably not> that. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's a good parallel. It is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you mentioned as well, like, um, at this point in time, did you have like any children, a partner, or did you kind of put everything to the side as you were going through this phase? Well, I, I actually I did have a, a kid. Um, he was uh, uh, he was I was twenty one, so the mm. pattern repeats from my father. Um, and um, mm. uh, he was six months when the police was coming into Russia into our house, and I was yeah. living with uh, my my. Uh, my girlfriend she was completely not a criminal not at all but when she was mm. uh, yeah so when she was um exposed to everything uh, this uh, life um with her stopped so i uh, i moved to oslo the capital of norway then and i started with my with my really criminal uh, life uh, continuous mm. doorman and yeah, I had a lot of money, of course, and everything. And I, I think I had a lovely wife. No, lovely life. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I didn't have any partners. No. Same thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have any... Good wife, good life. Good, yeah, it's almost the same. But in this, in this <laughs> sense of life, it's not good to have a wife at all. And you know, guys, I, mm. I did have a brother. Uh, he... He mm. and we were best. He's a cop. Yeah, we were best. We were best friends uh, when we grew up, but he became mm. a police, and he was a cop. You know, yeah. so and we have this. <laughs> it's a funny paradox. It is. It is. <laughs> so it it shows that you never know. You do, you don't have any guarantees for what's going to happen, um, mm. and I I could say that I had. It's much easier for me to say that, well, I had drug-addicted parents or something like that because it, it makes sense maybe that I got mm-hmm. addicted myself. But I can't blame um, because I can't say that because my father didn't pay much attention to me and that m- meant that I became a drug addict. No, it's not that easy. 
but it's a part of it. Um, so, mm. because my brother, he has the same experience with my father as I had. So, mm. and he became police. And, um, and you know, he has done a lot of more ugly things before he got police than I did. But, you can... mm. yeah. <laughs> but he was never yeah. caught for it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's what makes did him a good have... officer. <laughs> yeah. Did he know about like what was going on at the time? Like, did he know that you were engaging in that kind of activity? Uh, well, I think he did uh, because uh, I, I remember when he was coming home to me, uh, and I think he was twenty. I was twenty-three, and he said, "Arman, I have just enrolled in the police academy." Mm. And I said. Well, well, shit. I don't think you should go there because it doesn't suit my lifestyle. Mm, so yeah. I think you should pass it on. You should just leave it out. And he, uh, of mm. course, he didn't do that, luckily, thankfully. Mm. Um, but then he realized the life I lived and we cut off all the connection between us for at least yeah. uh, uh, seven, eight years. And But he was always there, he told me. Um, but he couldn't reach out to me, and if <laughs> not the funny part, but uh, I was I was um, delivering guns for a triple homicide mm. in Norway, which is so far is the most written murder case yeah. in Norway ever since. Um, mm. And I was in the court, uh, and I accused for delivering the guns, not for the murder itself, but for delivering the guns, and <laughs> he was. At that time, my brother, he was a police student. Mm. So he was uh, an observer in the courthouse where I was a witness right. uh, in the murder case for those um, four people that were convicted for that. So that was a really, mm. let's say, strong moment. And, uh, and yeah. uh, the other guys on the police force, they asked him, do you know this guy? Mm. And he said, well... <laughs> is my brother mm. so it mm. has been uh, oh. good times and tough times mm. but now we are now we are best friends again yeah it, it's good to there's a happy ending on the other end the yeah it is it is the how like just taking a moment to like take a breath of this whole entire situation where was your mental state at as things were going because i imagine you're so addicted to the chase you're so addicted to the high you know literally and figuratively speaking as well like you know did you ever take a moment to stop and comprehend what was going on did you ever realize that there was a button you had to press you know the stop button because i know when i when i listen to your story you describe it as the inside world and the outside world and the the inside world um i, I might get it mixed up but the world where like laws are followed and um you know there's normal civilians like that was not the world for you and you realized that and, and you pushed everyone away to continue pursuing what you thought um, was getting you day by day. Like, what was going through your head as that was all happening? Well, I was determined that I would end my life as a criminal mm. uh, because that was the life I, I knew, especially when I was taking more and more overdoses, I knew that this was a dysfunctional life. And it was very not very healthy, I could say, because we we hardly ate anything of food and mm. we hardly ate anything else. So it was just drugs, and I was seventy kilos uh, at, at the time. But still, it was a life that I mastered. Uh, I, I was uh, mastering my own life, and I had uh, 
because it's it's a different set of rules that are um, are valid in this outside world because um, I still ha I had people looking up to me I had people that were working for me I had a lot of money um, and still there are also some similarities between the bo two worlds because you want to mm. look good in both worlds mm. and um, because mm. I guess you guys also want to look good mm. in the sense of not your how you look but and uh, that you are accepted and uh, people look up to you and you have a meaning and purpose in life mm. we also have that mm. as a criminal but with, with some other values of course but we had a set of rules we we followed and um, um, because we we didn't speak with people we shouldn't mm. speak to that was rule number one and we shouldn't brag and we shouldn't pay mm. things to, we shouldn't talk to the police of course and we shouldn't rob, mm. rob old ladies mm. and we shouldn't sell um, mm. heroines yep. that was also the boundaries so we did have a lot of set of rules uh, but I never stopped to think that now I have to switch because I was too far away I was mm. too far away I didn't think I had a chance in the normal life so I didn't think I would become 40 years old to be honest mm. Mm. yeah it was a good question you, you raised there Sonny around you know that that stop button and I think um you mentioned there Arman as well around that triple homicide um and, and how you supplied those weapons and and from what we've and what we've, from what we've read about you and from that incident, Arman, was was that you were you actually kind of gained that that notoriety of, of being that the gunman the from from Mulder, and then, and so and I'm not sure if I'm if I pronounce that right. Um, but and so during that that time um, when you were reading those headlines, can you kind of take us into your mind of, of what your first kind of thought was? Like what what was your state of mind when you were sort of reading those headlines in the papers? You know, saying that you were this this you, know, you had this title over your name what, what was going through your your head at the time well actually uh, it was a, it's a it was a plan behind it um, because when people um, that the people that were convicted for the murder they told everything about where they where did they get the guns and everything so I was brought into the case and this was a case with first uh, cover in in all the newspaper and the television in Norway so I started to think okay when I'm actually now I'm involved in a case anyway so how can I use use it to best serve my interest so I was thinking in my creative minds as a criminal how can I use this case and instead of thinking what have my guns been used for killing three people I didn't think about that at all. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't concern one calorie thinking about that. But I was thinking, mm -hmm. how can I use this case to serve my interest? So I I went to all the newspapers and told my side of the story. And I used that to two reasons. One was to send a signal to my old world. Don't try to get me back because this is the world I like to be in. I told them that I was mm -hmm. a notorious criminal. That was on the front page of the biggest newspaper in Norway. And... Uh, I also send a signal to the criminal environment and to the gangs don't try to get away from paying me if you owe me money so it was a mm. it was some kind of PR uh, thing PR stunt. building brand mm. Mm. yeah so I was mm. using it uh, and it I, I feel 
just by talking about it, I feel a bit, wow, is that me? I, I should feel the shame, but I know at the time how criminals think. So it's nothing, you can't, you can't, you can't be angry by, with, with them because that's the way they think. Mm. Uh, but now I think mm. completely differently, but I understand how I thought yeah. at the time. It's it's an interesting one because mm. as you're going through those motions, your sense of remorse gets eroded because you've done it so many times in the past. And the biggest things that are on your plate at the moment is staying out of trouble, staying out of prison, and trying not to get killed, and trying to make money while you're you know um, achieving those three things. Um, was that almost like? Did you so did you did you have like? If I try and articulate this correctly. Did you find yourself um, very caught up in that world of chasing money, chasing status? Did it ever catch up with you? Did you end up having to serve time in jail um, or get pulled aside for what you were doing? Because I know, I know later down the track, um, you had that incident with a really lovely police officer that pulled you aside and had that conversation with you. But that kind of didn't happen overnight either. No, it didn't. And, and you know, this, uh, this um, media coverage also had some flip side on it because mm. I suddenly became a famous criminal and um, I was also uh, brought to the attention to the police much more and they always tried to get me. They always tried to push me into jail. Sometimes they succeeded, sometimes not. Uh, and I also needed to stay on the top of the game all the time. It meant that I... I I used much more drugs, mm. and I become a more, I, I become a more, uh, not that good criminal anymore because the drugs were taking over my concentration and over my, my head. So mm. I, I was, I was a slip, not a slippy. I don't know the word, but I was, um, uh, I was losing my touch as a mm. criminal, and I, I made mistakes, mm. and uh, so I was a lot into the prison uh, cells, and I remember that I. Uh, was sitting on the prison floor in, in the millennium uh, New Year's um, and at that time I actually tried to kill myself and that's just one year since I was on the top of the game mm. because in that last mm. year I have put so much drugs into my body and it didn't work so much anymore uh, so I had so many downfalls or I don't know the word in English when but you when you are um, you are when your drugs are going out of your body and you, you can't you need to have more but uh um, so yeah yeah like, like the craving comes back again yeah yeah and it didn't work mm. and it didn't work and i panicked and i i thought i didn't want to live this life but so i tried to kill myself actually that night at the prison cell i didn't succeed thankfully mm. uh, i get out of prison mm. and six months later i also got arrested <clears throat> but that was the moment where mm. i i think this uh, prison cell six months before was my rock bottom um but when i was meeting this police officer that was going to arrest me but instead of just arresting me he was sitting next to me and he was holding his arm around me and and you know you have to remember that this is uh, this is police and uh, a bandit so it doesn't mm. it's not often that this happens it's not and, a good uh, mix <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good mix it's mm. like PC and Mac they're not uh, <laughs> talking together as well yeah. so it's almost the same you know 
Um, <laughs> but he was um, he was having a good conversation with me just for five minutes, you know, guys. And 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 he was coming into my heart in a way that I have never felt before. And you know, I have I have reflected so much later on what happened that night because I think if he was coming the night the night before it doesn't it could be the wrong moment mm. so he was meeting me mm. at the particularly right moment but he the police officer he is like this to everyone all day every day so he always yeah. meets people so he will he knows that I could have a bad day or a good day the day I met him and I have a good day in mm. the sense of mm. listen to his message and uh, we mm. yeah and that was the first time I felt I was not alone and he said does it have to be like this and he suddenly mm. stroked my mind well maybe it doesn't have to be like this mm. so mm. um and he, he put me into prison after that, of course, because I had guns and money and everything. But mm. he had this good conversation mm. with me. And next time I met mm. a person that had extraordinary skills in meeting people in crisis, I had this experience from the policeman as a foundation because then I knew that not everyone are against me. Mm. So when I mm. met this prison inspector in, in the prison that also were were very valuable for my recovery i had this with me and she was talking a lot and i had to listen to her because i was in jail so i mm. couldn't escape either <laughs> you're locked mm. in yeah <laughs> i was locked in yeah. so but anyway i i and she was walking with me in the streets of molde in outside the prison without handcuffs and you have to remember i was a pretty mm. famous criminal mm. at the time because i was in my hometown but mm. that was the only way that she could reach into me. Yeah. And she was the person mm. that convinced me that I could be not whatever I want to be because <laughs> I couldn't be that. <laughs> she, she couldn't say she that, could she? She convinced me that. I, <laughs> no. Yeah. But she said, I see that you like to help others because I always help prisoners with writing applications and helping them with things because... Mm. I was, I, I had some uh, things from from the uh, university, so I have much more school than most of the other prisoners. So I was pretty good at something. And she said, "You should be a social worker." And from that time, wow, I decided yes, mm. I want to be a social worker. And she helped me with getting into rehab, and uh, the rest is history. Mm. Well, it's another it's mm. another story, but that's when I I changed and decided to, to switch around and i have nev- never looked back since um it, it's it's really interesting because i think in your, in your in the work that you're currently doing at the moment um you've sort of described i guess the steps in which you can um you know i guess rebuild your life and 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 sort of you know build that pathway to through to recovery i think it's about a nine or ten step um uh i think it's like a yeah nine step process it sounds it seems to me and, and listening to that um it sounds like that 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 conversation that you had with that police officer sounds a lot like step three in that process in terms of realize and in terms of that building that hope for the future and realizing that things don't have to be in that particular like things don't have to go down that particular path forever. 
um i was actually speaking he's like he's sort of reached a point in his life where his where his path can go into i guess two directions one is a life of where you know because he's a very smart he's a very very smart very switched on guy um and you know he's he's running his he's running a successful business he's got a lot of entrepreneurship skills um but he's all he can go down that path of of wealth and and making contribution to society or he can go down this other path of drugs and and and, and alcohol and and um you know and, and again i guess jail time and i think i think that's just a really and i think that, that you know that's step three it's it sort of seems like that and obviously step four in terms of changing the way you're thinking um it seems like you know it's it seems to it seems like this process that you've built for yourself is is sort of a is a is a very cool reflection of of your actual path to recovery and your actual um story into leading a life of of a positive social impact yeah i i think so and uh, this um uh, it, it's a framework for for me because I was uh, sitting with a friend of mine um, three four years ago and we re- reflected on what have you done and and I have to say I um, I have lost a lot of memories because I've used so much drugs you know so and I also experienced mm. so much uh, so much um, cruelty um, mm. even if I was a nice criminal I I, <laughs> I I don't, I don't, I hate seeing blood. I can pass out seeing blood. Mm. And that's, uh, that's a paradox mm. when you're a criminal. But I didn't do anything wrong to people. Um, I can threaten people, of course, but I didn't do any physical harm. But that has made me forget things. But when, when I was sitting with my friend three, four years ago, we were trying to build a framework. What have you done? Because it's important for me to see what I have done. Is there anything, have it, and how is the process? Uh, is there anything you can take out of it and give away to others? But first, it was just important for me to understand the process in my own recovery because it makes mm. it so much easier for me uh, when I have bad days that I can see what I have done and I also could put words into what I have done. So the process is mm. um, uh, it's really important for me the day I am today as well. Mm. And in terms of, I guess, step eight, and I'm, I'm, I remember reading this in your in, on your website, um, the idea of living with your mistakes. Um, obviously, we're we're human. Where time doesn't stop for anyone. You can't go and go. go you, can't, you can't sort of, you know, t- yeah, you can't really just uh, undo anything, and you can't um, hop into a time machine and like in Back to the Future and hop in a car and and then um, and ju- shoot back into the past. Um, what was that kind of like for you, particularly when, you know, particularly within, you know, with this whole, you know, this whole, you know, selling the guns and, and all that stuff? Um, obviously, it's a mistake that, that you've made. How, how have you sort of been able to live with that and just, I guess, accept accept that for what it is and, I guess, move on from that? And are there any techniques that you employed from, from that? Well, it, uh, it was in the last three, no, no um, the three, four, first year after my, turned around in life i was i was um i was not proud of my future um, past at all i tried to do everything i could to um, erase uh, google articles about uh, my criminal background and i tried to do everything and when i didn't want to speak about my past at all because i was just lucky to have changed my life uh, but when when I saw that my story had um, some impact on people, because I had started in small steps to share um, 
about my experience first because of my money problems when i was talking to people with money problems i always started the conversation with well i had money problems myself i've now recovered from that and that gave me trust and that made me um, a good helper i think because people trusted me and then we get uh, then we talk about things that were difficult to talk about because they knew that this person in front of me he wouldn't judge you because uh, he has been 10 times worse so then we had exciting conversation mm. about things that are trouble for people and struggles with for people mm. and then i saw the power in what i have learned and what i have experienced um, so that was the start of me fi- um, starting to live with my mistakes and trying to mm. m- help others with uh, preventing mm. from getting in the same positions as I was and also help people getting mm. out. So I mm. saw it as an asset, actually. So instead mm. of trying to hide, I was no more exposing my past. Um, yeah. And I also get questions about, do you regret anything? Mm. Do you? And of course, mm. I, I'm truly sorry about the three people that were killed because of my guns delivered to the to the killers but there is nothing i can do about it now um and i think it's meaning that i i am on the path i am now because of all the trouble i have experienced and i have to say it's just a coincidence that i am alive i need to use my time wisely and help as much people as possible to get the best possible mm. life as long as uh, they can. Mm. So that's my my vision, and and so that's why I've learned to live with my mistakes. And I think that I saw something called an expert by experience. Mm. That's a phrase yep. that I'm really I love that phrase, uh, but of course I think that's my strength mm. in life. I can. I can show my experience. I can tell my experience in the sense of helping others. And I know I'm not a perfect person today as well. So, but instead of getting, I, I don't get, um, if I have a bad day, I could, uh, before I could just um, spend, um, let's say, thousand uh, US dollars and go to uh, uh, a... <laughs> Uh, Cayman Island or something (laughs) (laughs) and it was bankrupt of course when I was coming home (laughs) I don't do that anymore now so (laughs) yeah so I do uh, I do yeah I have a better mental health and of course I have a a better uh, not escape plan but um, I have a better strategy for tackling um, uh, struggles that are coming up because they always come up we We've been talking a lot about like the negativity involved and everything. Thank you for listening to Armand Bastard. Now, unfortunately, the last 10 minutes of that audio track has been cut off due to some technical difficulties. So we couldn't get that up for you guys today, but hopefully we can retrieve it. Um, and once we do, we will definitely put it up on our socials for, uh, for your ears to listen. Um, the last 10 minutes was a super intriguing conversation with Arman. Um, at the end, Arman's biggest philosophy is giving people a second chance and is the fundamental basis of the work that he's currently doing um, around providing ex-criminals who, who have made mistakes in the past uh, a pathway to redemption. 
Now a really cool observation that we made in those last 10 minutes was literally the one-to-one -one match of the steps of the framework for that redemption to the steps that he took in his real life. So, um, because, you know, of course he did make mistakes in his past, but now he hopes to encourage more people to smile and help one another while sharing his message that the smallest acts of friendliness and compassion multiplied many times over can actually change the world. So Arman is definitely proof that it is never late to change your life. You can find Arman on Instagram and on his website. Uh, so his Instagram handle is at Arman Vestad and his website is www.armanv.no. If you're enjoying our conversations, please help us out with a quick rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. All the conversations are recorded in video, so check us out on Instagram and Facebook at our handle at Bottled Up Oz. Drop us a comment or a message if any of these conversations resonate with you, and most importantly, please share this podcast with anyone who might need it. So as always, this is Bottled Up. Thanks for being part of our family, and see you next time.